Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 12. and uh, Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you, Lord, love us as a father, and so you teach us. And so, Lord, here we are this morning as students, ready to be taught by you and asking you to teach us now as we study a word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 12, and uh, uh, I'll start here, and I'm going to read verse 2 first. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and that. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Drop down now to uh, verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister, so that I might have taken her to me to wife? Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Verse 1 of chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. Now, so far, we started out this chapter with God's promise, as we saw in verse 2, where he said, and I will make of thee a great nation. So God had promised that he was going to make Abraham a great nation. And, but what did God mean, was the question, when he said that he was going to make Abraham a great nation? I mean, who was he referring to when God said, I will make of thee a great nation. Who is he referring to? Why did Adam say the first time he saw Eve? What do you think Adam did say the first time he saw Eve? <laughs> what do you think he said? He said, she's pretty? <laughs> or where have you been all my life? <laughs> anyway, okay, but Adam's first word, turn to it, I'm sorry. All right, turn to it, Genesis 2, 23 through 24. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's what he said when he saw it. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So this is before sin has marred Adam's understanding. And he looks at Eve. He looks at Eve and he says, her bones are my bones. They're one. Her and my bones are one. He looks at her in the word echad. He looks at her and he says, her flesh and my flesh are one, this echadness. And what he was saying there 
was that Adam had two very different chapters in his life. There was a pre-Eve chapter in Adam's life where Adam thought of himself, and he only thought of himself alone. And then there was a post-Eve chapter in Adam's life where when Adam, when he thought of himself, he no longer thought of Adam alone, but now he saw himself as a pair of Adam and Eve. And so when Eve came into Adam's life, the pre-Eve chapter of Adam's life alone, it closed. It was finished. And a new chapter opened, this together Adam and Eve chapter opened up, and that's what happened. That was all before sin entered into and and, uh, marred Adam's understanding. So that closing of the pre-Eve chapter in Adam's life and the opening of the next chapter in Adam's life, the Adam and Eve chapter, is what he emphasized Adam did in this verse when he said, now, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she'll be called woman and so forth. So that word now was very important because it was Adam's way of saying that this chapter of his life before Eve was closed and now he is going to be one with Eve and Adam's words expressed this. So how Adam saw her bones as being one with his bones and how Adam saw her flesh as being one with his flesh. And so then we see that in verse 23, that it was, it was really Adam who took this initiative of saying these things. And Eve doesn't say anything in this. You know, she's silent. And we don't hear for her, from her in all of chapter 2. But what could she say, you know? <laughs> Are there any other quarters? <laughs> but Adam said, when he said this about her bones and her flesh, he was so right on in what he said is that God then memorialized those words when he said in in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and, and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. From that point on, the marriage union was instituted. In that union, there's this earthly picture that God has set up so that we can understand a more important and a mysterious union that's between the church, all believers, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul emphasized in Ephesians 5, 30 through 32. Now, God speaks now to Adam, sometimes individually, as he did in Genesis 3, 9, when it says, and the Lord said unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? That was speaking to Adam individually. And in fact, that whole chapter in chapter 3 there is God addressing individuals. He addresses Adam, he addresses Eve, he addresses the serpent, all individuals, as that's, that's happened there. But in Genesis 1.27, we see God speaking to Adam corporately. In other words, as a unit with Eve, because it says there in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, the two of them, male and female, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. So that was God speaking corporately to Adam, Adam and Eve as a unit. Now when we come to Genesis 12, 2, and we get into this same subject of having children, and God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2, and I will make of thee a great nation, that was God speaking about having children. So obviously God is speaking 
to Abraham, not alone, but he was speaking to Abraham as Abraham and Sarah, corporately. In other words, God was saying in that verse, I will make of thee, Abraham and Sarah, a great nation, such a great nation. So in that statement, since it involved the children, God was obviously looking at Abraham as one with his wife, Sarah. And Sarah comes, the word Sarah comes from the word Sar, which, is a, which means prince, like in Isaiah 9, 6, where the Lord is called the Sar Shalom, the prince of peace. So this, that's how she gets her name. She's a princess. Now, what happens? So chapter 12 starts out with God addressing Abraham and Sarah together as husband and wife. It starts off with a beautiful picture of Abraham and Sarah together as the unit, as one unit of Abraham and Sarah, and that's how it starts off. But we've studied and we've seen already that a terrible tragedy happens in chapter 12 where the marriage of Abraham and Sarah is broken. By the time we get to verse 15, the marriage is destroyed. Sarah and Abraham are separated. Sarah is taken and scheduled to become another man's wife. And this was all unnecessary. This was all, as we've seen, all Abraham's fault. Didn't have to happen. It was Abraham's fault. And what we saw in verse 16 was that the deal had been made. In other words, the payment had been made for Sarah, and Abraham had been paid well for Sarah, and Sarah was gone. She was taken away from Abraham. So by the time we got to verse 16, we see a heartbroken Abraham. He's broken. He's, his wife has been taken away from him. And, and it was all because he had done something terribly wrong, a lie. And that terrible wrong that Abraham had done had caused the breakup of his marriage with Sarah. And what we have here in this chapter is really the history of a marriage that starts out well, that a marriage that's destroyed, and a marriage that's repaired. Now, that sounds like a little... Do you think that's a relevant subject for today? (laughs) I mean, you know, 50% of all couples today in the church, outside the church, doesn't matter, are having two days in their life. One day where they stand at an altar and they say, I promise, for better or for worse, I'll stay married to you until one of us dies. And then they have another day where they stand in divorce court and hear the judge declare, I declare you divorced. Well, here in Genesis 12, we have a history of a marriage that got destroyed and rebuilt. So it's relevant, it's important. And so what we want to do is to study carefully what happened to this marriage so we can learn what went wrong. First thing, as we said, was Abraham was totally in the wrong. He was totally wrong. So let's look carefully at what Abraham did and so we can learn from that so we don't do the same thing. So where did Abraham go wrong? The key to seeing where Abraham went wrong is found in what he said to Sarah in verse 13 because there he says, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, and here's very important words, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. See, the key to Abraham's fault lie in the statement, or lies in the statement, that it may be well with me. See, Abraham's statement that it may be well with me tells us that this is all about Abraham. Abraham's statement that it may be well with me 
tells us this is all about Abraham's needs. Abraham's statement that it may be well with me tells us that this is all about what Abraham, his needs that are not being met. So, you know, I have a great need for a friend. Quote, I have a great need for a friend to talk with. And my husband just does not have time to talk with me anymore. But you know, you're so different from my husband. I'm so comfortable talking with you and laughing with you. You meet my need for a soulmate. I want to be with you instead of my husband. That it may be well with me. And the key to that whole thing, that whole scenario there, is the statement that it may be well with me. See, you know, I, I have a great need just to be with a beautiful, loving woman. I have a need for passion in my life. And my wife is just so cold towards me that hugging her is like hugging a piece of dry ice. <laughs> but you're so different. You're so different from my wife. I love to listen to you. Your lips are like a honeycomb and your mouth is smoother than oil, which happens to be the words of Proverbs 5.3. The lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. When I'm with you, I can't get enough of you. Come on, let's take our love together, our fill of love together until the morning. Let's solace ourselves with loves, which happens to be the words of Proverbs 7.18. I want to be with you instead of my wife, that it may be well with me. See, the key to all these statements, the key to all these problems is the I have need and you meet my need and my spouse doesn't, so let's do this that it may be well with me. So the marriage between Abraham and Sarah broke up because Abraham focused on his needs. And then we see also from verse 13 that it just all seemed right for Abraham at the time. It just seemed so right. It was a short-term Thing. It was just going to last temporarily. It was just going to be temporary until we can get out of Egypt. And then it'll all be all right, and, and that'll be okay. And this affair, it's only temporary, and I'll break it off. It's just a little excursion from the marriage vows. But what we saw in verses 14 through 15 was that it took on a life of its own that Abraham never anticipated. The ball got rolling, and Abraham never thought that was going to happen. Abraham anticipated, verse 14, that the Egyptians would see that Sarah was a beautiful woman. He anticipated that. But Abraham never anticipated and never spoke about, verse 15, that he would lose his marriage over this lie. And that meant that husband, he never started that affair. He never started that relationship with that other woman with the idea that his marriage would break up. You know, he's got kids, he's a father. It's just supposed to be a little secret affair. And that wife never started that relationship with that other man with the idea that her marriage would break up. I mean, you know, he's the father of her kids. But as, as with Abraham, it all spun out of control. And the marriage ended up being destroyed. And the marriage was hopelessly lost in chapter 12. The marriage was hopelessly lost. Abraham was powerless to restore Sarah as his wife. Abraham knew that he was powerless to restore Sarah as his wife. Abraham's knowledge that he was powerless to restore his marriage drove him to God for help. And that's the key to the restoration of a broken marriage. 
being driven to God for help as Abraham was. And we know from verses 15 till 17 that Abraham, obviously, he's calling on God. You know, he was gotten into that practice, you know, calling on the name of the Lord. He's calling on the name of the Lord that forgives sins, and he's confessing his sin. He's calling on the name of the Lord who is merciful, and he's asking God to show mercy and to fix what Abraham broke. And Abraham was pouring out his heart to God in brokenness. And in verse 17, the marriage is restored by a miracle. There's no marriage counselors involved here. It's just a miracle. It's the miracle of great plagues from God. And so Abraham did nothing but pray, and God miraculously restored Sarah to Abraham as his wife again. So the chapter starts off with Abraham and Sarah together, as God addressed them both, I will make of thee a great nation. And the chapter closes with Abraham and Sarah together again with the words, they sent him away and his wife. And there was only one reason why that broken marriage was was restored, and the reason is God. That's all. Just God. Now, through this experience, God has taught Abraham a very valuable lesson. Whether or not he learned it, that's a different matter. But it was a hard lesson. And Abraham watched verse 17 from his vantage point there. It says, where the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Abraham then had to stand before Pharaoh and hear Pharaoh ask three questions to Abraham in verses 18 through 19. Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou now tell me she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? I might have taken her for me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. So Abraham was asked three questions. Number one, what did you do to me? What is this that thou hast done unto me? Number two, why didst thou not tell me that she is thy wife? You know, a lie is also not, not just what you say, it's what you don't say. And third, why saidest thou she is my sister? Now, with each question that was really pelted onto Abraham, we can see Abraham just hanging his head each time, just a little lower, a little lower, a little lower. I mean, what can he say? Because with each question, Abraham was being more and more and more humiliated before Pharaoh. Because with each question, Abraham was more ashamed. With each question, Abraham was more sorry, more regretful, more remorseful, because Abraham's answer to each of this question was always the same. You know, the first question, what is this that thou hast done unto me? I lied to you because I did not believe that my God is great and mighty to take care of me. Now, the next question, why didst thou not tell me that she is thy wife? I lied to you because I did not believe that my God is great and mighty to take care of me. Why saidest thou that she is thy sister? I lied to you because I did not believe that my God is great and mighty to take care of me. And every time Abraham said that he lied because he did not believe that his God was great and mighty to take care of him, Abraham ruined over and over and over again his testimony before Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And every time you and I sin, 
It's always for the same reason. We sin because we don't believe that our God is great and mighty to take care of us. And every time we sin, we preach the message that Abraham did, that we don't believe that our God is great and mighty to take care of us. And others look at that and they say, well, if you don't really believe that you're God, if you have to resort to this, if you have to resort to sin, and that means you really don't believe, and if you don't believe that your God is great and mighty to take care of you, why should I believe that your God is great and mighty to take care of me? So it's on, this, it's on that score that Abraham failed and the devil won. And when we leave the lost with that message that we don't really believe that our God is great and mighty to take care of us, we fail, the devil wins as he keeps those lost in his pocket. He keeps them there. He succeeded in keeping the lost from believing that God is great and mighty to take care of them, especially their sin. Now, when we read the first few words of the next chapter, 13, verse 1, it really has a meaning for us because of what we've seen in chapter 12 when it says in verse 1, and Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife. You know, that wasn't the way it was going to be if God had intervened. This verse would have said, and Abraham went out of Egypt without his wife. He came into Egypt with his wife, and he would have left without his wife. Boy, do those words have meanings for us. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife. And we could just picture Abraham leaving Egypt and saying to himself, I went down into Egypt with my wife. I almost lost my wife in Egypt. But by the grace of God, I'm going up out of Egypt with my wife. That is just a miracle that Abraham leaves Egypt with his wife. I mean, verse 1, it's a miracle that Abraham is leaving Egypt with his wife. We can just picture Abraham as he's leaving Egypt, just thinking to himself, this verse, the scene of it all, he's leaving Egypt with his wife, and he thinks about leaving Egypt with his wife, and he leans over, and he puts his arm around her, I think, and he says to himself, you know, I'm not going to take this gal for granted anymore. And at least, we hope he did. (laughs) So, he should have. But that's a good thing. That's a good lesson. That's a good thing for us to do. Never take our spouse for granted. Neiman is his name. He's worked in our mouse vivarium for three years now in Scanby's Ducati. He's a model employee, Neiman. Every day, Neiman showers and shampoos in. He puts on his sterile moon suit. He works all day in his sterile dome with his 10,000 mice. That's his responsibility. He's either pairing them for breeding, or he's feeding them, or he's changing out the cages from the sterile transfer cart that comes in. He's cleaning the room. He's making sure the temperature, the humidity are recorded within limits. He's recording the data for each mouse. He's injecting the mice. He's harvesting the antibodies from the mice. He works all day in his sterile dome with his mice with HEPA filtered air rushing around him all the time. And there's not one bit of his skin that's showing in that room. He's totally covered. Neiman is diligent. And if Neiman was not diligent, then we might have an infection in our mouse of a colony of 150,000 mice down there. But there's There's no vivarium in the world that has 150,000 mice in one place that has not had an infection. But by the grace of God, we have not had an infection. And Neiman is part of that team that's responsible for that. 
the vivarium at, at Takati is certified by ALAC, which is a big deal. I mean, you know, it's, it's called the Association for Assessment and Accreditation in Laboratory Animal Care. And Scanabyte Takati is the only ALAC certified vivarium in all of Mexico, Central America, South America that's not a government institution. And Neiman is a part of that, of that team that's responsible for that. Neiman never misses a day of work, is absolutely dependable. And our Takati Vivarium team, it's a tight team. You know, because of the potential contamination, that team cannot eat in, in the uh, company restaurant. They have to be isolated, so they have their own dining room. And every day the kitchen prepares their meals, sends it down into their dining room, and, uh, and you have to shower and shampoo to go into their dining room, so I've never been there. <laughs> so, and, um, but in our company restaurant, surrounding our company restaurant, there are bronze plaques with Bible verses on it. Well, because I've never been there, I forgot about it, so, so their isolated dining room didn't have those, and so the team sends up a message, says, Where's our, where are our Bible verse plaques, you know? <laughs> so it's a tight team, and Neiman's part of that team. Neiman has a wife. Neiman has a son. Neiman has a new baby. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 247 3051 800 247 3051 800 247 3051 Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.